if you go on TikTok or Twitter, you'll see that one of the the trending words right now is deconstruction, um, especially over the last year. It's even accelerating over the last six months. We're seeing a tsunami of people, particularly young people, who are deconstructing their faith, leaving the faith. Stats back this up. So two-thirds of American Christians say that they struggle with doubt on a regular basis. Two-thirds. And then this is of the Christian community. Um, Well-known former evangelicals have come out deconstructing their faith. Um, every, everyone from John Piper's son to Rhett and Link to the guy who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris, and on and on. Over the last couple of years, they've come out on social media saying, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm deconstructing my faith. And it's brought many, many people with them. As pastors, we need to be aware of what's happening. And we need to be aware of how to engage this crucial issue of faith and doubt. Because to be honest, I think the church, and this is painting with a broad brush, but I, I think in many ways we failed to address this and we failed to develop a robust theology of doubt so that when people begin to experience it, like two thirds of Americans say they are, um, we, we don't know how to respond. Um, and many times the way we do respond only makes the, the conversation more tense and the situation more tenuous. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 187. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. Thanks for listening. You're going to hear this conversation that I had with Dominic Doan. He and I have a, yeah, just a a thrilling, informative chat about, amongst other things, the current deconstruction trend and the ways that we in the pulpit can be addressing the spoken or the unspoken doubts and questions of those people who are in our congregations. Now, for me to like list off all of the places where Dominic has lived and served, all of the degrees that he has accrued (laughs) would take way too long. Let me just say that he is the author of a book called When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. And he also has recently started a podcast called Pursuing Faith, uh, which focuses on issues relating to faith, doubt, and apologetics. You can read his complete bio in the show notes. One final word before the interview plays, Dominic's going to be joining us at our upcoming training weekend. It's just a few days away, September 17th and 18th, and it's actually in his new adopted hometown of Colorado Springs, Colorado. So he's going to be joining us as a panelist, and so there's still just a few days left if you want to book a flight to Colorado Springs, Colorado, or if you want to join us online. It's not too late if you're listening to this episode as it is released. Anyway, here's a great conversation that I got to have with Dominic Doan. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm here with uh, Pastor Dominic Doan. How are you? I'm really good. Good morning. You're in Colorado, and so it's morning time. Is that right? Yes, it is morning time here in beautiful Colorado. Hey, on that, how long have you been in beautiful Colorado? You've been pinging pinging (laughs) around lately. Where where, where are you and how long have you been there? Yeah, we just moved here about a month ago. We were living in Portland, Oregon for almost a decade. I was pastoring a church out there 
And uh, yeah, now we're here. We're starting up a new ministry and doing some writing as well. So we uh, so far love it. Amazing community out here. Beautiful, beautiful mountains. There's walking trails right near our house. So it's like the ideal place for an introvert. Fantastic. So yeah, so 30 days in and you still like it. That's that's great. Yes, <laughs> I know. But I was telling my wife yesterday, I'm like, well, before we, because she's like, I love it here. I wish we moved here years ago. I'm like, okay, we need to get through our first winter first and let's see how we like it in a, in a year from now. Well, the Colorado people that I know all stinking love Colorado. So I, I hope that you become one of them and and this time yes. next year, you you have just as much passion for it as well. Um, so, so yeah, on that, you talk about, yeah, kind of starting or establishing uh, a ministry. I, I'm assuming is this? Uh, yeah, so it's called Pursuing Faith. Um, website's pursuingfaith.org. And essentially what it is, is a ministry to help people grow in their faith through seasons of doubt, hardship, deconstruction, and then providing some practical ways that their faith can begin to flourish. Wow. Well, well, thank you. And I'd love to to come back to this in a few minutes time talking about like maybe the unique role of preaching as it interacts with or overlaps with, with doubt. But, but before that, I mean, this is kind of our standard opening question, kind of our get to know you question. Uh, yeah. So Dominic, do you remember your first sermon or what was the first time you ever taught or preached the Bible? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about that. When was the very first time that I preached. And I actually don't remember the the first time. I remember one of the first times. And I think probably like 99% of your guests, um, it was a disaster and a, a memorable moment. Um, mm. as, it, as it often is, it seems like as communicators, we have to go through times where we begin to get our voice. And it often begins in a rather difficult circumstance. But I, I remember I used to volunteer teaching uh, for old folks homes, these these yeah. places where once a week we'd go open up scripture, we'd sing some hymns, and we'd get anything, anywhere from 10 to sometimes up to 100 people who would come in. And I just remember, man, loving those moments of ministry. And one week, because I, I went there with another pastor one week, he's like, hey, I won't be here. I'd love for you to share this week. I'm like, oh, no, how do I do this? You know, I was pretty nervous. Yeah. And I probably overprepared for it and show up and turns out that that day, everyone was on a field trip <laughs> with the exception of two guys. Yeah. And both yeah. these guys were in their 90s. Yeah. Um, they, they're wheeled in on these, these wheelchairs. And it turns out these two guys, something happened back in their past. I don't know if it was some event of World War One or something. Um, but they really hated each other. These are like legit enemies. Okay. And they refused to sit next to each other. Wow. So something bad happened in, back in the fields of France. Yeah, back, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so they wheeled one guy on the clear far right side yeah. and they wheeled the other guy on the clear left side because they would not sit next to each other. And so already the di dynamics were kind of weird. Like yeah. there's only two people there. So I, I begin to share <laughs> And the guy on the right fell asleep. And so I, there's only one guy who's awake and listening. So I keep going. Yeah. And about five minutes later, 
he fell asleep. So <laughs> the entire congregation fell asleep. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, And I kind of had this Calvary Chapel upbringing stuff where it's all about just preach the word, be faithful to preach the word. And so this is kind of in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, I got to be faithful to teach the word. So I kept going, even with both of them asleep. So that was one of my very first experiences. Super humbling, super funny. And uh, didn't go all that well. My goodness, my goodness. Yeah, that that's a good one. I could tell you, I've I've heard a lot of these stories, and uh, that's top <laughs> top five. No, I, I, I wish I could say that when I preach, no one falls asleep anymore, but that's not the case. Yeah, unfortunately. Ugh. Okay. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So it's only uphill from there. Uh, but I guess are, are there things that you've kind of like learned over the years or or experienced as a teacher um, that that you yeah, some things are totally out of your control, like like that situation, totally out of your control. Um, but there's certain things as a homiletician or as an expositor that are in your control. Like what are the things that you've tried to improve at um, over the years or what are some like moments of growth in your teaching and mm. preaching? Oh my, that is such a good question. Um, you know, I, I think there's essentially three ingredients to a good message. If you think of like a, a three-legged stool, and, and you kind of need all three for it to, to flow. Um, first of all, you need content. So that's what you're saying. It's what you're unpacking. It's the text that's before you. Um, secondly is communication. And that's really the art of how you're saying mm-hmm. it. Um, the use of illustrations, analogies, uh, quotes, things like that, um, keeping their attention, trying to prevent them from falling asleep. <laughs> and then the third part and this is the the key factor and, and something from the very early days I've always just longed to experience and pray for uh, before I, I before I preach in, in any setting. But that is the moving of the spirit. Like you can prepare, you can think you have the best analogies and illustrations. You could have the whole thing memorized. Uh, you could be on point even in the way you share it. But if the spirit isn't moving, um, <laughs> Then, then it's just going to be dead words, right? So I, I think those three things are absolutely crucial. Content, communication, and then the moving of the spirit. Um, and so over the years, from the early days in my early 20s, when I was a missionary and teaching in different countries and stuff, to you know recent days where uh, pastoring churches and things of that nature, uh, those are the three areas I'm constantly trying to push myself in. The, the content. And, and by that, I mean, too, not just understanding and expositing the text, but getting at the thing beneath the thing, beginning to explore what did this mean in the ancient world? How would this have been received, say, in the first century? Or what was 7th century BC cultural like? Uh, how was their social structure organized? Um, beginning to get at those things, I think, can really bring clarity to our day. Uh, too often we skip over what it meant to the original audience in our attempt to, what does it mean to us today? That I think we either butcher the text or we fail to see the depth and the beauty that's there uh, when we begin to connect all those dots. So communication is uh, the second point there, just constantly pushing myself to become a better communicator. We can unpack that later if you want. And the moving of the spirit, you know, which comes through, I think, seeking the Lord in prayer, giving his heart about the text and for the people that we're addressing. Okay. Yeah. So these are things that you said that you've 
I guess you, you see the value in and that you're also aiming and trying to, to improve in. The first two definitely seem within your grasp. You know, It's up to you whether you understand the content or and it's up to you if you communicate it well. Uh, do you think it's possible to improve the moving of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirits as a Lord. Um, there are moments, I think, when God just decides to show up and it is kind of out of our control. Um, Acts 2, you know, I was reading that just a couple of days ago. And this was a moment Peter's, Peter's preaching, the spirit shows up and it wasn't something they, you know, it wasn't a formula they were following. It wasn't something they were to trying to generate through hype or super sensationalism or emotionalism. God's spirit just decided I'm going to move and work. And I think revival often looks that way. The moment uh-huh. we try and manufacture it, uh, I think we often miss um, what God's actually wanting to do. And I think that's actually a big downside to kind of big church structure, uh, particularly here in the United States, where we can get really good at manufacturing the ambiance of, you know, high hype or um, emotional feelings. And we substitute that or we mistake that for the moving of the spirit. Um, So I I think there are times where God just surprises us and shows up. Some of the most beautiful moments I've had teaching the word were in places and settings that you just wouldn't expect. Um, But on the, on the flip side, I think we can prepare our hearts for God's spirit to show up through prayer. I, I think that's the key. It's making sure our heart is in a good place, that we have a hearing heart, that we're listening from him, that we're tuned into him, that we step into that sacred space mm-hmm. of teaching. And it is sacred space um, with humility and openness to what the spirit wants to do. Okay. So, yeah, uh, receptivity uh, to it rather than increasing his his presence or, or his moving. Mm-hmm. Well, here, here's something, maybe this is more of a specific question. So I, I've just, uh, this Sunday is going to be my last sermon uh, preaching through John's gospel. And I've actually been been listening to to your series as like one of my, the resources uh, that I kind of dip into. I try not to listen, you know, to, to too many preachers, uh, but I do dip into, uh, well, actually, sorry, no, I listen to a lot of preachers. I try not to like exclusively week after week, listen to the same preacher again and again and again, Mm -hmm. but you're Mm -hmm. one of like the rotations of I'll check you out. Um, And so you had a message called, uh, called breathe again, which was based Mm -hmm. on John 20. And you said at the beginning that you wrote it a few weeks ago, which I want to come back to that in the first place, but then how in the coming week, um, leading up to you actually preaching it, you felt led by the Spirit to just rewrite the whole thing and have something completely different. Um, is that kind of an example, A, of this receptivity to the moving of the Holy Spirit, which which it sounds like? Mm-hmm. And then the second question mm-hmm. is like, how often does that happen to you? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, I think so often, you know, we prepare, we bring our what, what we have and what we can uh, to the moment. But there's always something unique and out of the box that, that God is wanting to do. Um, you know, I think of Augustine when he was walking a beach one day and he was pondering the truths of the Trinity. And he was having a hard time just grasping the complexity, the depth and the beauty of it. And he saw a young boy who was digging a hole in the sand. And he's, the further he digs, it kept getting filled up by, by the waves and by the water. And 
the Lord just spoke to him through that moment. Like you're trying to plumb the depths of this, but this is something that is beyond your grasp to fully understand, to Mm. fully Mm. articulate. And I I think in our life, um, God will move in ways that surprise us. Um, For me, that breathe again message, I I do remember that. Um, I I like to prepare a few weeks in advance, um, at least have the skeleton of the sermon, the outline of the direction I want to go. But what I find is the week of many times is where God kind of breathes life into those dry bones and it begins to take a form and a structure. Sometimes that is formed by the needs of the community. Oftentimes it's formed by the needs of the community or the events that are happening in our world that need to be addressed or some event in my own life, some truth that the Lord revealed to me or convicted me of. And I'm like, oh, I I need to change this message because this is something the Lord's showing me. So I, again, I think having that receptivity to how God's spirit is moving the week of yeah. um, is, is pretty key. I think it's one way as communicators we can get better is if we have a pulse to our community, to what God's doing in our life, to the world at large, and then being willing to adjust as time goes on. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like you're, you're almost like your, your weekly rhythm starts a few weeks before each message. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing the, you said the skeletons, let's say Mm -hmm. three weeks out. Uh, yep. So, so that means that at any given moment, you you have a, a good number of outlines or at least preliminary work done on any number of sermons, and then they get tightened up as Sunday arrives. Yes, yeah, so that, that that's something I'd say in, in the last couple of years I've really pushed myself to. Um, it, it actually emerged from a conversation I had with a friend, mutual friend of ours, Daniel Fusco. Ah, uh, we ah. were sitting at a restaurant in downtown Portland. I don't know, it's like four or five years ago or something, and. He was telling me, he's like, yeah, I, I have like the next eight or 10, you know, messages already written. I'm like, are you serious? Like I, I write it, you know, just leading up to that week. And what that does many times is it creates this kind of intensity, this pressure, like I've got to get this done. Uh-huh. And it means you don't have have as much room in your schedule for emergencies or things that happen in your community. And, and so we began to unpack that. And I'm like, wow, man, I, I don't think I could ever get eight or 10 weeks ahead. But maybe I should start preparing two or three weeks ahead. So I started doing that. And it really was helpful. Now, there's a huge downside to that for me. And that is <laughs> when you have something pre-prepared a few weeks ahead, again, you can sometimes miss what God's spirit is wanting to do in that moment. Okay. So that breathe again message is an example of that. That's where for me, if I'm just open-handed, like, okay, I have the skeleton of the message or even somewhat embodied, but the week of, I'm just going to pray God breathe life into it. And many times that comes through things I'm experiencing, illustrations of that moment, things happening uh, in our community and the world. So for me, the preparation process will begin with praying over the text because I love to teach through books of the Bible. Um, you know, what verses should I unpack this week? Hmm. Okay. Figure that hmm. out. Step hmm. one, pray it through, uh, ask the Lord, what is your heart here? What could you be saying to this community at this time through this text, jot down a few thoughts. Um, and then I'll enter kind of a research phase. And for me, 
uh, just some very practical nuts and bolts that will look like opening up Logos software or, you know, some, some kind of Bible commentary set and just studying the background, the content, the, the original language, um, trying to understand what it meant to the original audience. To me, that again, I come back to that. I think it's so key, so crucial. Um, and that can take a day or two just, just doing that. And that will lead to sometimes rabbit trails. Other times it'll lead to like, whoa, I had no idea that this meant that. And begin to see just God's beauty in the text, which maybe for years I'd read at a superficial level. And then once I do that, I begin the writing process. So once I have the content, a a general idea of what I'm trying to say, I think you should begin with the end in mind, by the way. Um, Then I begin to write. And for me, probably over the last decade or so, I've manuscripted all my sermons, so I pretty much write them out word for word. Um, but when the day of teaching it, I don't like just sit standing up there reading it. So I pretty much, by that point, the act of writing kind of cements it into my mind, into my heart, so that the day of when I teach, I, I just need you know very few notes, um, the basic outline to go on. But I, my mind already knows how to fill in the gaps because I've done the work of writing it out. Yeah. So it's, so it sounds like, so you manuscript everything and, and then you bring a outline version of those manuscripts with you up into the pulpit, mm-hmm. or it's kind of a, more of a table that you have. Essentially. In Portland. Yeah. yeah. So if, if I have a quote or something, obviously I'm going to have that there. So I don't yeah. butcher it. Um, but I'll, I'll start doing all the background work. I do write it word for word. Um, and the day or two leading up to it, I'm going to read that over. Sometimes I'll even read it out loud just to kind of get a sense and feel for it. And for me, that's part of the editing process too. I'm mm. like, oh, that sounds horrible. Or I, I can rephrase that in a better way, or that's heresy. Or yeah. And, and, and to be honest, some things just, yeah. they just look good written, but they sound bad when they're read. And there's different methods of communication that involve when there's a paragraph and you can kind of reference or, you know, oral speaking is different. Yeah. And that's been so helpful for me. Just finding a quiet spot in my office or going for a walk with the notes and then just prayerfully reading them through. And I say prayerfully because you're asking, Lord, do you want me to say this or not? Or um, maybe my heart's pulled in a different direction and I'll rewrite some, some things. And then once I've done all that, it's okay. It's there um, in, in my mind. But then the day of, I want it to come from my heart, and that that's where prayer is so crucial. Knowing your audience, uh, connecting with your audience, seeing your audience, not looking past your audience um, because you're just trying to get them, you know, share something. You're you're wanting to reach their heart, not just their minds. Yeah. Yeah. So now maybe on behalf of like the, the week to week preachers, like, like me, and Mm -hmm. to be honest, like most people where we just are thinking Mm -hmm. one week in advance, if someone hears what you're saying and wants to, to, I don't know, build a buffer like you have of these weeks, how do you get started? Like, do you have to, did you take a three week sabbatical and write three weeks of sermons to, to give yourself a head start? How, how does one get out of the week to week rhythm to, to build that three week Calling it a buffer almost seems disrespectful, but um, head head start or or whatever it is that that you want to call it the most honoring way possible to call it because I see the value of it. It sounds really great. I just can't talk myself into doing it, you know, because there's just that week to week 
you know, that's how you lived for so many years. You, you, you get it, but yet you talked yourself out of it. So how can we do that? Yeah. So, I mean, basically all I did was I said, I'm going to take this week. I think I just took a week Okay. and told my staff and set aside time in my calendar, cleared all meetings. This is going to be the week where I kind of write. And I use that term loosely because it wasn't like I wrote every single thing, but mm-hmm. I'm going to come up with three messages, say. And the great thing about taking a block of time like that is at, at least the way my mind works, I kind of need to be in that space for a while um, so that I can focus, mm-hmm. kind of breathe in, breathe out, day in, day out the same text. Because um, as a pastor, you know just how scattered we can be. You know, you can be studying at your desk for half an hour and then you get a call, you're at the hospital, you have to deal with a staff issue. Um, and, and it's just tough. So setting aside those blocks of time was really helpful. So I, so I did that. And then I began to see the fruit from that because I had written those things out. Now my mind already knew where I was going. And as the days progress and the weeks progress, if I read something in a book that I'm like, oh, that would fit really good there. Or that something happens. And that's a beautiful story. It's like these buckets have been formed Hmm. in my mind and I can just begin to throw things into those buckets as the days go on. But if I'm just preparing for my message the day before, I sure, there may be some things I could pull from, but it's all scattered. It's all disconnected. But if I have a sense, a semblance of where I'm going, the major theme. And it may not, I may not even have an outline written, but it's like, at least for this day, three weeks from now, this is the topic I know I'm going to be addressing. Even that is a start because then you, on your notes app or whatever, you can just have your little bucket there and like, okay, here's the theme of forgiveness say. And over the next three weeks and things I read and assimilate and conversations I have, experiences I see, stories I'm a part of, I can begin to drop things into that little notes app so that when it does come, you know, the day I actually have to write it, I can open up like, oh, I've, I've got some things there, mm-hmm. some things the Lord's been showing me. And it's like you have a you have a head start. Yeah. For me, that's really freeing. Well, that, that's good. I'm, I'm glad I asked that because, you know, one of my questions here in my notebook for you is, is that I've noticed, you know, in, in the sermons that I've listened to, like you have such a, like a, a diversity of quotations, like your quotations, like it's not just the same two authors over and over again. I was going to ask, you know, how do you, how do you organize or categorize all these diverse quotations? And it seems like you just answered it. You just think early. <laughs> you just think in advance. So you have a category. And as you come across it, you're thinking three weeks ahead. And so you know what page to put it on or what what section to put it into your notes. Yeah. Now you bring up something I think is so important for, for pastors. Regardless of what circles we're in, denominations we're a part of, any circle, any tribe, there is a very real temptation for it just to become an echo chamber of its own voices or superstars or people who speak at conferences or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you just start to parrot those people. I think when you're starting out, you know, we're all mentored by those who've come before us and we're going to naturally sound like people who have taught us and trained us. But as time goes by, hopefully we're pulling from other sources. 
Um, I've heard it said before, milk many cows, but make your own butter. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of a gross <laughs> illustration, but I, yeah, really. Yeah, it is kind of, when you actually think about it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, but the truth there is like, okay, uh, as, as Paul said, all things are yours. Um, so we can learn from theology. We can learn from science. We can learn from philosophy. We can learn from history. We can learn from current events. So for me, that has looked like I read widely. Um, I listen to podcasts, diverse podcasts, um, all across the spectrum, um, because I need my mind to be aware of other fields. For me, and personally, I'm interested in multidisciplinary approaches to, to all topics. Um, and I think that's where it, the text comes alive. You're bringing something to the text that's more than just something we heard from a Chuck track or <laughs> whatever. It's like, this is what I've learned and assimilated through, through life. So an area I've really pushed myself in over the last decade is just reading widely and seeing truth and beauty in God's creation in all fields. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm glad to even to even get a second glance or more of, of that. It's not just that you start early. It's, it's also because, because we could start early, but then still be, I don't know, milking that same cow. I don't know. So it's to use yeah. that, you know, um, yes. but yeah, it's really you kind of sometimes have to force yourself. You have to wean yourself from the cow that you've drunk from. Oh <laughs> really, boy, like this is just getting, this cow analogy. <laughs> this it's getting, <laughs> it's getting utterly ridiculous. Um, Hey, let's just <laughs> totally pivot. I'm kind of aware of the time and I'm thinking, hey, I'm talking to Dominic Doan this whole time. We haven't talked about faith or doubt yet. And so let's let's do a hard pivot. Mm. And can we talk let's, about that for, for the rest of a, this? A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I loved your book, When Faith Fails. I know that this is, um, you know, your ongoing ministry has a lot to do with like with doubt. And I wonder if there is, yeah, something that you think that preachers should know about if we want to call it the current deconstruction movement or, mm. or is it current? Is it a trend? Is it just gaining more popularity? <laughs> what do you think we should know about it? And I'd love to ask some follow-up questions about it. Oh my goodness. So yes, it is current. <laughs> and if you go on TikTok or Twitter, you'll see that one of the, the trending words right now is deconstruction, um, especially over the last year. It's even accelerating over the last six months. Hmm. We're seeing a tsunami of people, particularly young people, who are deconstructing their faith, leaving the faith. Stats back this up. So two-thirds of American Christians say that they struggle with doubt on a regular basis. Two-thirds. And then this is of the Christian community. Um, Well-known former evangelicals have come out deconstructing their faith. Um, every, everyone from John Piper's son to Rhett and Link to the guy who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris, and on and on. Over the last couple of years, they've come out on social media saying, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm deconstructing my faith. And it's brought many, many people with them. As pastors, we need to be aware of what's happening. And we need to be aware of how to engage this crucial issue of faith and doubt. Because to be honest, I think the church, and this is painting with a broad brush, but I, I think in many ways we failed to address this and we failed to develop a robust theology of doubt 
so that when people begin to experience it, like two thirds of Americans say they are, um, we, we don't know how to respond. Um, and many times the way we do respond only makes the, the conversation more tense and the situation more tenuous. Um, so that, that's where, you know, I wrote the book on faith and doubt. And right now my whole space is focusing on this topic because I'm just seeing so many people leave the faith and we, we need to have conversations about why this is happening and how we as pastors can address it. Yeah. And I, well, and thank you for that. Thank you for seeing the need and not just bemoaning it, but it sounds like you're, you're dedicating maybe this section of your life, um, to addressing it or to resourcing the church. So, so thank you. Um, and then also I, we realized, you know, this, this podcast or the expositors collective, we, we kind of focus on, on a, on a narrow focus, which is like, you know, the preaching ministry, realizing that Christianity and pastoral ministry is so much more than just sermons. So, mm-hmm. um, a- acknowledging that there's more to it than just the sermons that we preach, but what are the sort of sermons you think that, that strengthens mm-hmm. someone, um, in, in their questioning? What are the sort of sermons that convince somebody that maybe this faith should be deconstructed in the first place or should be walked away from? Is, is there something that like you're, you're addressing preachers right now? What, what should a preacher know about this? So pastors need to care, but then pastors who are preachers, maybe we have a special responsibility that we should listen to you for. You know, I, I think, first of all, just being aware of what's happening culturally, um, I think across the West, um, listening to voices who are in that space of uh, either deconstructing or struggling with their faith, Gen Z in particular, understanding what are the issues that are causing them to deconstruct their faith. And then from that space of awareness, we begin to address it. And I think one of the simplest ways to do so is to talk about what is doubt and what does the Bible have to say about it? And typically, um, the way churches respond nowadays, I see two responses. One is idolizing doubt. And you see this in more of the progressive, Mm. liberal uh, stream, ex-evangelical, as the New York Times put it recently. Um, And and that is where deconstruction doubt is encouraged and faith or tenets of the faith are, are thrown out. And we're basically constructing a new religion. Obviously, that's not a good response. Um, the, the second response I've seen is not to idolize out, but to, to demonize mm. doubt. Mm. And this is where we kind of flippantly just say, you've got to believe or uh, doubt is a sin. <laughs> when you actually look at scripture and you see that unbelief is a sin, but unbelief is, is in a different place than, than is doubt. And we need to understand what scripture actually has to say. And we could we could, if we had time, we could delve into the different Greek words for faith and doubt. But to, to cut to the chase, the Bible says in Jude 22, show mercy to those who doubt. That's to be our posture. And that word mercy in the ancient world, speaking of trying to dig back the layers, what did it mean back then? The word mercy meant to repair a broken bone. Uh, so my, my daughter, a few years ago, she was jumping, jumping on a trampoline and her, her, her leg broke in a number of places. It was horrible. And yeah. Paramedics show up. And just the way they treated her was so gracious and so kind. The way they gently you know, lifted her up on the stretcher, put her in the ambulance, gave her medicine. And the way they cared for her so that her bone could heal. It's that kind of response as pastors were to have in our community to those who are saying, I'm struggling with 
what the Bible says about science or my sexual identity or the weird parts of scripture, the violent parts of scripture, rather than just kind of dismissing it or, you know, cat poster Christianese, we need to actually talk about, okay, you're having doubt. What is doubt? What does the Bible say about it? Mm-hmm. And what I've come to learn is that the Bible gives space to those who are doubting. Not only that, uh, it gives those who have questions the greatest platform the world has ever known. Some of the greatest doubters were given greatest opportunities in the Bible, whereas, whether it's John the Baptist, who, who's like, are you the one or should I look for another? And Jesus said, you're the greatest of all the prophets. Mm-hmm. Or the the mountain where Jesus sent out the disciples, some worshiped, some doubted. He sent both out. Uh, to the book of Job, to the book of Psalms. I mean, the Bible is full of gritty, raw, uncensored, unfiltered questions. So obviously, there is room in our faith to have questions. And we need to give room in our churches for Mm -hmm. that as well. Not simply for the sake of asking questions, but for the sake of drawing out truth, like Jesus did with his disciples. He asked over 300 questions. Who do you say I am? Do you believe this? Hmm. What do you want? The first question of the gospel of John, what do you want? That's a good question Yeah, because it forces the listener to open up within their own assumptions. And that's, it's the rabbinic way, actually. Um, Truth is uncovered through the art of wrestling together. Yeah. People, yeah, it's, it's called like the Socratic method, but but you're right. It's it's not necessarily exclusively the, the Greek way of thought. It's it's Hebraic as well. And, it is. And yeah, people got questions. And and so I guess you you even spoke about, and I love that you pointed out that yeah, at at the the resurrection, some worshipped and some doubted, but then we were all sent. So maybe could you address like maybe the preachers that also have have doubts? Like what's what is what is the the appropriate way to acknowledge doubt in the pulpit? Acknowledge your own doubt. Um, yeah. How how can it? Is it wise? Is it? Is it? I have a lot of like follow up questions on that. But like maybe what's the, <laughs> what's what's the? Yeah. Do you advise? Do you think that preachers should say in the pulpit? Hey, listen, I'm I'm doubting X, Y, or Z as well. Oh, so again, I, I think the pulpit is holy ground. And what we're doing there isn't about us. Okay. It's about the word. It's about reaching people. It's about communicating truth. Um, now that said, um, I think there are times where we just, we can be very honest. Um, some of the most liberating words are, I don't know. So for example, I think it's appropriate if we come to a text that's thorny, that's confusing, and maybe we've wrestled with it. It's okay to say, you know, I'm still wrestling with this passage. I'm not, I'm not really sure uh, what it means, but here's some options, okay, right? Yeah. And, and then we lay those options out. So that could be one example where it's appropriate. Um, if, as a pastor, would it be appropriate just to get up in front of your church and say, I don't know if any of this is true. I'm really sorry. I, that's probably not the best approach. I think sure. uh, that it, it might be, be cathartic with, for the, for the exactly. preacher, but disaster yeah yes yeah that might be best done with a group of of trusted mentors friends pastors and not just bringing all your issues up there um but as as pastors yeah of course there are going to be times where we struggle and oftentimes it has to do around the issue of of suffering 
you know, sitting with a, a couple who they've been infertile for years, praying for a child, they get pregnant and then the baby's born and it's born dead. And you're sitting there with them and they're just weeping and you're just like, what, why would you allow this? Or, you know, sitting next to the bedside of someone who's dying of cancer and seeing them suffer. Um, that's hard. And I think as pastors, this is why we need to keep our own souls healthy, because if we're ministering out of a place of constant fatigue, um, constant questions, constant doubt, that's not a that's not a great place for us to be. We want to be in a place where our own soul is flourishing and alive. And sure, are there questions? Yeah. Are, are there things we struggle with? Absolutely. And it's okay to share that from time to time. Um, but we want to be in a place of health because health begets health. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, previously you mentioned how, yeah, one, one wing of the church would almost idolize or heroize heroic, heroicize, whatever, idolize doubt. And, and then the other demonizes it. And so, yeah, we don't want to in the, in the sake for the sake of authenticity or relatability. Um, yeah, really, really prop this up as almost like a, as almost a virtue of our, of our faith when really faith yeah. is, a, is a virtue of our faith. Yeah. Yeah. We're turning the pulpit into kind of our own personal therapy session. Certainly. I think, I think we have to be careful of that. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. And uh, I'll, what you mentioned about, you know, addressing multiple possible angles of, of a passage to even say, Hey, I'm not sure about this. Here's, here's some options. That's been a practice of mine for, for years. And, um, and people love it. Like, I, I never get so many like thank yous and handshakes or fist bumps, whatever. Um, then, then the Sundays and, and I, I make a habit. I don't do it every single Sunday. I think it might be a damaging thing to do every single Sunday to be like, listen guys, it happened again. I don't know. Um, that's, that's not, that's not useful, but like a, a steady diet of that every couple of months or something to say, you know, there's, there's, there's Christians that understand this differently. Here's some of the options. It, especially for younger people, they're just boom. It's like, oh, oh, and, and we're like invited to think through this. So I think it's, again, every week would be bad, but never doing it at all, I think, is another way that harm, not harms, but but ceases to give something useful to the, to the yeah. congregation. Absolutely. Again, this is, this is what Jesus did with his disciples when he gave the parable of the sower and the seed and the four different options that he laid out. Then the disciples later on came to him. And they're like, okay, we're a little unsure of what this means. And they're trying to hash it out together. And I, I think when people see that in us, that we're learners too, that this isn't just a top down, I'm, you know, like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. That can kind of create an, a pretty unhealthy culture or given, you know, stretch that out over a period of years. But if we come to it saying, hey, I'm a learner too, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus together. And sure, I'm, I've had the honor of getting to invest time and yeah. months, you know, wrestling with these passages. Here's what I've found. Here's how it's affecting my life. That's the other thing too. People want to see that you're wrestling with it. They want to see that you're learning together, but they also want to see, oh, this is shaping my life in this way. And when they see it lived out through your life, the, the strengths and the weaknesses, that becomes opportunity for growth too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much um, for this. Um, maybe in the next few minutes, if we could 
pivot hard once more uh, because I, I I jotted down something because you said something earlier on. Uh, you talked about how communication is so important and you said we can come back to that later. And I was like, I, I, I want to come back to that later. And then you talked about how you begin with the end in mind. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so what does that mean for us? And if there's a way to tie that with communicating about faith and doubt, or if this is just something that's important to you that, that you want to get out there, um, you, you kept, you kept dropping a trail, a, bre- a trail of breadcrumbs. And I was like, I, I think this is worth chasing down. How do we communicate mm-hmm. with the end in mind? Oh my, that's such a beautiful question. Um, well, you really teed because, it up for me. It's you were like begging me to ask it, and I'm like, how can I do this in our remaining minutes? <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of boils down to Jesus' prayer. We said, "Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." We live with the end in mind, as as we minister, as we serve, as we partner with what the Spirit's doing in our communities. Uh, God is breaking into this world and healing and restoring and renewing all things. And so part of our task is to ask ourselves and to bring others along on the journey. Okay. What does that look like? Uh, what is God's will be, his will be done in his kingdom come now? What does that look like in this situation? What does this look like in this community? What does it look like with this area mm. of injustice? Mm. Um, that's a fascinating question. Um, and I think when it comes to, to our faith and doubt is part of growing in our faith is understanding what G, where this is all headed, what Jesus is wanting to do. And it's a deeply, deeply eschatological question um, where we're partnering with the spirit in the text, in our community, um, being sensitive to his leading and his guiding and then helping others see that process unfold. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful way to invite people into that, you know, having that almost beatic vision uh, or, or aiming for that Ooh. ourselves yeah. and then inviting yeah. people to, to come see what I've, what I've seen or to see what the Lord is, is showing or what, what is the inevitable result, but yet we can, yeah. we can see it early and come see it with me, come experience it with me. Yeah, that's, that's so key because, um, you know, the philosopher Michael Novak, he, he talks about three different levels of conviction. Um, he talks about a public conviction, which is what you say you believe, even mm. if you really don't. Mm. So politicians are really, really good at uh, public convictions because they're swayed by the polls. But then there's a private conviction. And this is what we think we believe, that in the heat of the moment, we may genuinely feel it. But when mm. circumstances mm-hmm. change, convictions change. So you think, for example, of people who, in the heat of the, the emotion on a Sunday morning, the worship is vibing. They just heard a powerful message. They yeah. give their life to Jesus. But then Monday morning, they're back to how they used to live. But then he said there's a third level. So there's public conviction, private conviction. But the third level, and the deepest of all, is core conviction. And this is what we do with what we believe. So it translates into how we live. And I think as communicators of the gospel, we're wanting to take people on this process where their public convictions lead to private convictions, but ultimately the end game is a core conviction. It's what Jesus wanted from his disciples. That's deep faith. And the way he cultivated that in the life of his disciples was drawing out some of the questions they had, wrestling with them through some of the doubts that they had, 
helping them grow in their faith, in community, together. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, that's, that is a great spot to, to end it at. And, and yeah, to, to be bringing, yeah, from that public to the private to, to the core, what, a, what an important journey. And humbling to think that our little sermons although we spend all week or all three weeks working on them, they're so small compared to it, but, but the Lord can use that in someone's life. Um, bringing the outer into the inner and into the core, it's a, a valuable invitation from God himself uh, to us. Uh, so this could be a, a perfect time to not, not only to remind the, the listeners that if they want to, to connect uh, with you, Dominic, they can do so through uh, pursuingfaith.org. Is that, is that the best way to find mm-hmm. you or your resources? Yep. Yeah. Um, pursuingfaith.org you can email from there um, I'm also on, on Instagram Dominic Doan uh, Facebook as well although not as much Facebook is an interesting place the last couple of years yeah, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. but you've started a new podcast is that right? that's correct yeah the podcast is called Pursuing Faith and we're taking some of these questions you know I've just been flooded over the last few months with a ton of questions as people are deconstructing and trying to grow in their faith and so what I did is I compiled a list of the most commonly asked questions that I'm hearing and then each week over this next season between now probably till the end of December or so um, we're taking a question per episode and unpacking it so the most recent one had to do with pluralism is Jesus the only way a uh, big study was done, came out just this last week, where they said a majority of American evangelical Christians don't believe that Jesus is the only way. So this is something we got to address. So um, in the last podcast, I talked about that. And we got other things coming up, uh, science and faith and atheism and Christianity, etc. Oh, wow. Well, uh, again, Thank you. Like on behalf of the people that are going to benefit from that as, as other, the people that need it most, um, I guess, what's the word directly, those that are posing those questions, or then also one layer up those of us that are trying to, to care for those and shepherd those that are dealing with those questions. Um, thank you for that resource. And then if somebody wants to, you know, meet you in person, uh, where can they find you September <laughs> September 17th and 18th yes. in Colorado Springs, Colorado? Where, where are you going to be, That's Dominic? Right. <laughs> well, it sounds like I'm going to be part of a, a, a panel there, um, which I'm really, really excited about. And uh, yeah, here in Colorado Springs, which is where we live. And so I'd love, love to connect with anyone who happens to be there. Let's chat. Let's have a cup of coffee. And uh, if you live in this area too, we'd love to meet up. Excellent. Well, thanks for, for letting me cram in uh, promotion yes. for our then, own that's thing. A, is, that Calvary, is that Calvary Rocky Mountain? I believe, yeah, it's Rocky Mountain Calvary yeah. that's hosting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, September 17th and 18th. Details at expositorscollective.com. Um, okay, Dominic, well, I, I kind of warned you in advance that I might ask you to pray at the end. Uh, would you Would you please uh, pray for the, the hearers, for, for those of us that are privileged to teach and preach the Bible, either occasionally or regularly, but we do want to represent him well, even to those who, who doubt. Yeah, be honored to. Father, I thank you for every leader, communicator, pastor, who's a part of this community, listening to these podcasts, who is faithful week in to week out to teach your word. I pray specifically, Lord, for a season of healing and refreshment and just knowing how challenging it can be sometimes, especially in a a polarized moment in which we live, a culturally divisive moment. 
And Lord, that can just weigh on us and trying to make decisions about how we're going to respond to the cultural things and pandemic issues. I just pray for wisdom for my brothers and sisters. I pray that their hearts would be encouraged and refreshed in you. And Lord, that they be able to tune out the negative voices, the cynical voices that come against them constantly. And you would protect them, Lord, bring them people in their life who can encourage them and inspire them. And Lord, would you, through your spirit, empower them to be your voice and your vessel in this time, in this crucial time we're in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen and amen. Uh, Thank you so much, Dominic, for sharing from your life and helping us as we want to really serve this current generation. Well, if you are interested in the field of apologetics or ways that we can integrate um, more apologetics into our teaching and preaching, um, I do want to recommend a previous episode of this podcast. It was released uh, back in July, and it's with uh, Pastor and Dr. Bobby Conway. The episode is titled, Don't Apologize for Apologetics. And that is one of a few different episodes that we've done on the importance of uh, apologetic asides or the way that we can preach evangelistic sermons that, that make, make sense. Also check out the episode with Dr. Gavin Ortland. All of these will be available in the show notes. Well, I do hope to see you in Colorado Springs. Uh, Actually, I'm going to be hosting the online portion. I'm not leaving home. So I guess I'll see you if you're joining the online parallel track. Uh, But I hope that Dominic and the rest of the guys will be able to see you in person in Colorado Springs on September 17th and 18th. One last thing, make sure that you're subscribed because next Tuesday, there is a very special conversation with Sam Albury that's coming up. We're going to talk about how we can preach about an embodied Christian existence and also what it means to craft and create and enjoy not just gospel doctrine, but also gospel culture. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Thank you.